HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. This is Greg Blaze, your host. As St. Patrick's Day approaches here in the U.S., there winds up being a big focus on the Irish art of drinking beer. I'm from outside Boston. I've spent a lot of time there, and I get it. Here at Cutting the Curd, what excites us about this holiday is the chance to focus on Irish cheese for a minute. And who better to help us navigate that world than our guest today, Seamus Sheridan, co-owner of Sheridan's Cheesemongers in Ireland. Hi, Seamus. Welcome to Cutting the Curd, and thanks for calling in so late at night over there. Uh, it's not too late, Greg. Can you hear me? Okay I can. There? I can hear you great. I can hear you great. I, you and I first met at the uh, Crevero home for Wayward Cheesemongers back in the day. We uh, slung some vino out together, and uh, you know we had a great time. Well. Yeah, that was a great time, as it always is. Uh, that's sort of like a more drinking than I maybe did on several St. Patrick's days. I don't know about you, but that's yeah, a great place yeah, to be. But we, we've been stereotyped again, aren't we? Yeah. That's for Irish. Yeah. Well, I'm Swedish, you know, so we also like yeah. to drink quite a bit. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a member of a Swedish social club and, uh, you know, we, we call each other dumb Swedes all the time, but if anybody yeah. else does... I, 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 won't, I won't stereotype uh, uh, people from the States at all, then. <laughs> We're the best and the worst. <laughs> so let's get right to the heart of it, man. What Irish cheeses are you most excited about right now? Well, the, the cheese, the uh, Irish cheeses, uh, they remain quite stable. Yeah. Well, myself and Kevin started about 20-odd years ago. Uh, and slowly one or two new cheeses come. But by and large, we still rely on the cheeses that have been around for the last 20 years. So it's quite a, it, which means that it's uh, quite a difficult business to break into for young kids or young people starting up. That's pretty good. So you're but, talk- uh, yeah, but I mean, there are, there are always beautiful cheeses coming up, and sometimes they don't, they don't survive. 
Yeah. So the the, the newest cheese that I'm really like at the moment is a cheddar called Derek Cheddar. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, from the new batch of Irish cheeses. And you're talking the old schoolers are like the Gubine, the Coulee, the Duras, Ardrahan, Cashel, yeah, the, yeah, the Titans. Um, I, I, yeah, and the Leeds, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You got it exactly right. And then you got the Cashel Blue, the Crozier Blue. Yeah, man. And then over the last couple of years, you've got a blue called Young Buck. You know, a few younger cheesemakers come through. Yeah. Do you still make the Heather? Is that still made over there? No, no. Uh, yeah, that was the lost one. I really liked that. It was like a little boucheron type of goat cheese, I believe. A little like um, um, yeah, Annalise, Annalise Bartig. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we myself came out a book a few years ago. We one, one chapter dedicated to her. Yeah. And then strangely, it's a nice chapter because the whole chapter is dedicated to her uh, uh, giving up making cheese. That's an <laughs> unfortunate chapter. Way, you know? That's that's not good. Then there's a, there's a cheese called Mizzen still get made over there. No, let's <laughs> give a legend. Yeah. yeah, that's made by an American uh, gentleman and legend of Irish cheese called, um, oh my God, uh, Bill Hogan. Yeah. And then um, Bill made Mizzen and Gabriel. And yeah. Gentleman. And they were thermophilic cheeses. Yes. And then myself and Bill spent two years in the in the courts fighting for the cheese, which was a, a great learning curve. Absolutely. curve. It's it's interesting, like sometimes here in the U.S., I think, in, and a lot of it has to do um, because of the of the Neal's Yard dairy is the way a lot of people get their really high quality cheese from the from the aisles over there. The Irish cheeses get grouped together with the English cheeses. But how yeah, different so, are the so, cheese so making so traditions? Neal's Yard dairy have always done that, and uh, who are we to even challenge Neal's Yard dairy because <laughs> they're so brilliant at what they do? Right. So myself and Kevin never really tried to export. Uh, cheeses that Neil Jard will carry. That said, we export a uh, lovely small uh, washed rind cheddar type cheese called Fifteen Fields. Fifteen Fields. Yeah, which is made by Eamon Lonigan here in uh, in Ireland. We 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 matured for him, so we sell a bit of that uh, into the states. You know, it trickles into different different uh, cheesemongers here and there. Completely. Are the cheese so does I would you say that the cheese making tradi- traditions in in England and Ireland are are similar or are they, or are they does Ireland have its own independent history of cheese making? Yes, very much so. Okay, so let's just focus on that then. That's, yeah, that's interesting. So uh, you know the you know the story uh, when you when you go to the continental Europe. Yes, cheeses are named after after certain areas, and there are uh-huh. lots of hopefully two or three or four or ten cheese makers in that area, and they make that cheese. You know, called after the region. Certainly, uh, in England, because of the uh, old landowning system with the gentry and farmers, there always was a very uh, large landowning class in England. Certainly, that can go back hundreds of years. So, if you take the legendary Montgomery Cheddar, is a perfect example. I don't know how many hundreds of years the Montgomery farm has uh, been in control of that farm, but it's a long time. Whereas, if you look at Irish farming. Uh, in a lot of areas, we really only became independent farmers in around 1920, sure. 1930s, you know, when we became an independent country from the from the UK. Sure. So uh, most of our, in our new, bright new future, we uh, most of our dairy production went into uh, co-ops. Sure. Understood. And those co-ops grew like you would have the Wisconsin cheese. You, know, you could trace yeah. it exactly the same way. Absolutely. And, uh, the, the English, they, they, they have the territorials. That's usually Correct. how how yeah. it is, and that territory 
is generally a family name. Um, so it's like its own sort of miniaturized PDO system. I mean, so the Irish yeah. are, are cooperative dairying, but the cheeses are still named in a territorial fashion, but that's probably the only thing that they are similar. So, uh, yeah, so, so basically, so we had the co-ops. And yeah. I was always wondering, so a reason why the co-ops have become so industrialized, I think, is that they were supplier co-ops. Okay. They were never worker co-ops. Hmm. Um, so the co-ops were controlled by the people who supplied the milk. Yeah. Uh, not by the workers. So you know, when you look at European co-ops, they would be a they would be a worker-owned co-op. Yeah, well, the ones I've Whereas, seen. Well, correct. Yeah. So there's a difference between. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's I think why they they took that march toward uh, corporatization and, and uh, conglomeration. It makes sense. And you say you so it's interesting uh, for the cheeses that don't make it out for export. Like, does does that dairying system does that have anything to do with it? A, no, how? we we export we export a uh, huge proportion. Uh, our biggest success story is the country, of course, we carry gold butter. Yeah, of course, that's everywhere. Okay, uh, and then we, the companies, the Irish Dairy Board uh, or Nula, as they're called now, they would the old co-ops groups together, and they set up a company called the Irish Dairy Board. Yeah, and they all work together to export our butter under the carry gold label and their various types of cheese. Certainly. Even ones that don't sound Irish, like uh, Pilgrim and Cathedral. Yeah, but they, they are. They be made in Ireland, and, and they have different names depending on what region of the states you are. And yeah. It's quite hard to keep track of it all. So that would be the big Wisconsin-type cheddar production. Then in the, in the 1970s, I'm sure everybody knows who's listening to your program anyway, will know that that's when we started up our independent cheesemakers. So they would have been uh, small farmsteads who decided to, to start making cheese themselves. Interesting. I I mean... When I look at cheese, it's a general question, but it's along those same lines of the traditions of, of, of cheese making. Cheese, I've always, as I've learned through doing this podcast, just being a cheesemonger for a long time, cheese is there to add value to the milk. It's there to give a source for dairying, you know, places to give their, their product, and it appreciates in value, and that system is allowed to, to you know, to yeah. coexist. But, in okay, America... You've got you to add in subsidies. That's the big question, right. isn't it, like, so you see in the States and in Europe, mm-hmm. the amount of money that we subsidize dairy production, right? that enabled very cheap cheese to get yeah. to the market. Yeah. And where our farmstead cheesemakers, even though they are subsidized part of their production, it's a smaller percentage of their overall uh, yeah. you know, price to the market. Yeah. Uh, and we know all the politics that comes in with that, and the local employment, et cetera, taste, Completely. quality, love, passion, life itself. Yeah. It's really, it's really but, interesting. Yeah, at the basis of that is, is uh, in the States and in Europe, we are too rich to uh, milk our own cows. Well, that's the thing. I, there's a lot of cheese, especially that's made in the United States now, and it's made in essence to, as a hobby. There, or that pe- people have, uh, they're like, there's in such an excess here, which even though we cry poverty, that people say, oh, yeah, there's milk readily available and there's this abandoned farm. We're going to buy it because, you know, we've made money and we're going to go and make cheese. I think, yeah. you know, I think that that's okay. But I that's always, a great thing. Oh, yeah, I, I think know, it's fantastic. But I always think it's important to take a look at the history of why these things come to be. When you're telling me, you know, the, the, the two cheese making traditions are very different because, in you know, in a very short time ago, Ireland, you know, got its independence to do those sorts of things. And you really see what cheese making does 
as a method of preserving people's lives and way of life. Would you agree? Yeah, we never really had it. I mean, Ireland was very famous for producing salted meat and butter. Right. You know, for the navies of the world. Yeah. Then the bloody, then bloody Argentinians, remember them? Yes, they I start, do. They started competing with us for the beef <laughs> and, 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 and the tin, putting stuff in tins, this nonsense. Uh. And, uh, and, uh, and that's great, you know, and that's uh, yeah, kind of DLC for independence. So, <laughs> cheese making itself is, uh, I would say, it's not really been there. Yeah. It came in with our large co ops, obviously. Sure. And then it was the mid 1970s before we got individuals back in yeah. making cheese themselves. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear that. I, I want to ask you, just because I'm, I'm selfish and I get to ask you whatever questions I want. Uh, there's one of my favorite cheeses ever in the world. Um, it's such an odd little cheese, and it comes from Ireland, and I can never, ever get it anymore. And it's just it just ordered it. It was just called the Dingle, and it came to me from Dingle, and it had a piece of kelp running through it. And like all of these yeah. like roots. Does that still, still get, get made? You can still get a seaweed. I'll, I'll post you over some. I love that. With, uh, Dillis, yeah, some Dillis cheese. Yeah. So, there's nobody listening from the, from the government. Yeah, they, they, I'll, I'll post it over to you. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Why is the kelp there? What, what's the history uh, of that? And Dillis, what are all those Dillis. runes? So Dillis is a type of seaweed. Yes. Uh, I grew up in the city, but my mom grew up in the farm. Yeah. So she put me up there. Uh, I once or twice I went before school holidays ended. Yeah. So I'm a city, inner city little guy, you know, and I go to this country school with just two rooms. Yeah, sure. And the kids, they weren't chewing chewing gum, you know, they were chewing seaweed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, behind the teacher's back. Wow. Sure. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> so, I mean, good. Uh, I, I remember that in my childhood. <laughs> yeah. I did so a few things behind my teacher's that's back. seaweed, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. And obviously that's where it's from. I... I that's just like a mythical, a mythical place. And anybody I ever yeah, talked I mean, to, there's a lot of nonsense. I study seaweed a lot. There's a lot of nonsense talking about seaweed. And yeah, because it's most exci- exciting area for, for me. And seaweed is plastic, and, and that's potential there. Yeah, but uh, there's very few things that seaweed's actually good at. Uh, <laughs> and one of them is the Irish brown bread. When you put it in the brown bread, sure, and it does actually taste good in the in the cheese as well. Yeah, it does. It was really, really cool yeah. stuff. I just it actually, it actually works as opposed to. It, it's yeah. very yeah. odd. It's very odd. And then I would always run into yeah. these uh, these Irish surfers, and they would be like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna be crazy to surf in the Dingle." And I was like, "Yeah, I think people from there are crazy anyway because they give me cheese with fucking seaweed in the middle of it." So I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but interesting place. So all right, so we'll go back to St. Patrick's Day for a second. Since St. Patrick's Day is a bit of a drinking holiday here in the U.S., I'm one excited to ask: What are your go-to Irish beer and cheese pairings? But also, what are your best cheese? Cheeses to have with uh, with whiskey, which is uh, the Irish export that I probably have consumed the most of in my life. I tried. Okay, here's, I, I, okay. Let's start with the whiskey. Sure. I tried. Sure. I tried and I tried again. Yeah. And then I tried again. Uh huh. So I just think like if you're sitting beside the fire and you want to drink whiskey and you want to have some cheese, yeah. do it. Okay. You but, know. Yeah. Don't worry about pairing it. I mean, uh, yeah, I would that's agree with that. The Americans do. So you're too much into your pairing. Yeah, uh, I, I less, would agree. Less a more enjoyment is what I would say. So, but I would introduce a grain between the consumption of the whiskey and the eating of the cheese. Sure, that makes sense. So, uh, I make you know, we have our brown bag crackers, the kind of butter crackers you make here. Yeah. So you know you see them over there in the states. So when I was in whiskey tastings, I would I would you know, taste the whiskey. Then I would cleanse my palate or break my palate with a kind of uh, cheese yep. cracker that way. Yep. 
and then I'd eat the cheese. But here's a, here's a funny thing. So I tried to pretend like a, a proper man, like from Basque in Spain, you know? Okay, so okay. So I said, James, come be real, man. So I had all these whiskeys that they were making a film about me eating cheese and whiskey. Uh-huh. So I got Duras cheese, uh-huh. a fork, okay. some whiskey, yeah. some beans, fork, whiskey, milk, yeah. fork, whiskey, uh, Crozier Blue. Oh, fork, that's a good whiskey. one. The Crozier Blue, the sheep's blue. Yeah. The first three cheeses, that was not a good thing. But the blue but was good, it. right? Yeah. Yeah, the Gabine, the Duras, the Malines did yeah. not take the Massimo whiskey and left for a couple of weeks on the shelf. Sure, sure. But my God, that Crozier Blue. Yeah. Wow. That was, that oh, was, yeah. It that's... just, it became one, it became the most beautiful, totally. amazing, totally. Uh, and dare I say, uh, proper machismo taste. Yeah. An apt to taste sensation. That's cool. So that was an interesting little aside from uh, whiskey and cheese. So yeah, Sheep's Blue, mixed in with the whiskey. Excellent. I, you know, I did a few tastings back when I was a, a younger man at this good bar in the lower, in the good bar in the, in the East, uh, in the East Village, or in the, uh, it's called DBA, and they've been around for a long time. They had a big whiskey selection. I would bring Harborn Blue, old Harborn Blue, and uh, and have that with a bunch of uh, of Irish and Scotch whiskey. Yeah, well, it's like that, isn't it? It's like the, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I would go tend to its blue with yeah. whiskey, wouldn't you? Yeah, I definitely it has to be. Cool. We're going to take a tiny break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk to Seamus about his awesome shop in Ireland. Stay with us for a sec. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese. The Farmstead Cheese Company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back here to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze, and I'm here with Seamus Sheridan, co-owner of Sheridan's Cheesemongers, talking about cheese in Ireland and... Uh, other interesting things, whiskey. Shame I'm, I'm still here, Greg. I'm, still yeah, here. <laughs> I'm so happy that you are, and thank you. Uh, now that we've gotten your full take or a fuller take on the state of cheese in Ireland, let's talk about your own experience. You founded Sheridan's Cheesemongers with your brother in the 90s and originally sold farmhouse cheeses at the Galway Market. Now your business includes four different shops around Ireland, and you also produce your own insanely good crackers. Did you always know you wanted to grow the business like this? 
Um, okay, it just it just kept happening. I think you know. Yeah. Kind of myself, my brother drive. Uh, we opened in Dublin, and then we we couldn't get cheese that we wanted into Ireland, so we started importing it, and then we started exporting Ireland food cheese out, and that therefore we needed a warehouse. And sure. Uh, and then we never really owned any property or anything like that. We rent rent our shops. Then we bought a train station. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and okay. that's our headquarters down in Mead. And, you know, the, yeah, the business grew that way. Sure, you feel the need. And now we, we've got four stalls, you know, like Murray's doing uh, yeah. the big stores over there. We, yeah, we have four or five uh, uh, supermarket uh, counters as well. That's pretty awesome. Am I right um, that you and your brother still run the business together, um, along with your yeah, third yeah, my, partner, my Fiona? Kev, yeah. Well, Kev runs the business. I just off, I'm afraid. But, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm here in Galway on the West Coast. So. Awesome. Is it a challenging Even, to run a business with your sibling, or does that make it easier in some ways? Well, I, it depends on it. I, I, yeah, there's no generalization there. I get on incredibly well with Kevin, always have. So, yeah. Uh, we're, very, we're very close that way. Yeah, my so, sister and I are thinking of doing that. She's, you know, we want to we want to work together and sell some cheese together. And uh, we're really close. We're really good friends. She's probably my best friend, and uh, you know, and she puts up with me. And I think we can do it together. But there really isn't a generalization. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it's yeah the end yeah, of the family, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's cool. Well, we really enjoy it, and uh, it gets odd yeah, there. There are obviously lots and lots and lots of tough times, but then there are just some amazing times. Yeah. Like when I'm uh, pouring Prosecco with you and Georgia Cabello's uh, courtyard. Or yeah, man. We have a food festival every year down the country in our headquarters, and we stand together and see four or 5,000 people walking around. That's pretty you know, awesome. Oh, my goodness. Look what we did. Yeah, and it's your family, <laughs> you know? Like, that's the thing. Yeah. You, when you go yeah. home from a job and you try to explain to your family or something, they had the best day at work, and they're like, yeah, but it's work. But when it's your... Oh, uh, a really funny story is we're first generation. So, yeah. you know, when you go to Italy, everybody's like fifth generation? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I knew it's a George's father. Uh, yeah. Sparrows, for those listening in, that's the, our Parmesan dealer, my best friend, my Italian Amazing, friend, man. So, uh, my father's a, uh, you know, inner city, working class guy, car factory. And uh, uh, he comes to Slow Food to, to Bra in Italy. Yeah. And walks around with uh, George's father. Yeah. Whereas all the big, famous Italian uh, cheese uh, cheese companies presume that he's the big Don, you know? Yeah. So, myself and Georgia were, like, watching from a high down yeah. through the months. And we saw I love getting it. kicked off a table as my father entered the oh. room. Cheese has been thrown out in front of him. With Georgia's father and the two of them are just laughing, pretending. <laughs> that's the best. That's pretty fucking great. That's that's really awesome. Um, I mean, what do you have any advice to give to any of our listeners, even me, who might be dreaming of opening their own local cheese shop? Yeah, you gotta. I mean, if you if you do the cheese shop, then you pure retail. But you gotta watch your margins there. Yeah. Uh, I had a great Jewish jeweler next door to me for years. He passed away. Uh, we had great crack together. One of the last things he said to me, he opened the door of the shop and said, Shamey, Shamey. <laughs> yes, Mr. Danker. He said, you know why I'm going to die rich and you're going to die poor? I believe in silver. You believe in cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look, your, your stuff's evaporating. Uh, totally. Your profit margin. Yeah. Uh, 
I try you know, to explain you that. Want, you don't want to be elitist. That's the big problem with being a cheesemonger is you don't want to be, appear to be just, you know, there for the rich people. Totally. There's always, there's always that in your head. You know, how do you... Totally, but you, you got to go where the money is, though. You have to... People have to buy it, and, and sometimes yeah. it's not inexpensive. I, I actually agree with that 100%, and it's been a problem. I mean, my, my mom and... My mom and dad are awesome people, you know. My mom's a teacher, you know. My dad worked a lot. I mean, but it's the same. I don't. I don't. I'm not a whatever passes for the gentry here in the U.S. But and I'm, yeah. and I'm a love. I love to be an American and who I am and how I got to grow up. Yeah, but the, the supermarket counter is strange enough. I've, yeah, I've opened our. I've opened up our cheese a bit to a different market that right. we're, we're, we're quite surprised at the volumes we're doing there. You know, totally really good, like the beans and you know, up the really good cheeses. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the advice is, so yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you, you, if you're wholesale, you gotta look after your credit. Yeah, fucking get <laughs> and, those bills paid, man. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, if you're just purely retailing, then it's just customer service and, yeah. and giving that joy to people when they come into the cheese shop. It's one of the few shops left in the world, isn't it, that you get that tasting. You I know? agree. I mean, it's you awesome. don't go into a tobacco shop and they let you taste 20 No, that's the thing. You go into a whiskey shop and let you taste 20 You know what I mean? No, it's, it's shop, true. What do you want to taste? And it's a well, different all- interaction. Like you are, you're, you're, yeah. you're, and you're in charge there. I mean, the, all the people that I've been able to, to interact with over the counter, it doesn't matter who they are or yeah. what they are. I remember when we were in Italy and Leon Panetta came in. He's like the head of the CIA, and he's like immediately was drawn over there, you know, to the counter, and there's just like staying. They're not the CIA. They, yeah, so I think he is actually. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And he comes down, and with these these guys that are walking past, and he was just like drawn to the cheese counter, and I was like. You want some cheese, dude? And he's like, hell yes, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And then I'm like feeding the guy out of my hand, and it's just like, you know what I mean? Like that, where yeah. else? No, there's so, there's so many, yeah. Serving behind the counter is, is, is an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, for me, for when we were started off visiting our cheese makers, that was so special, you know? Yeah. Visiting for the first time. I totally. Was in tears, you know, finding all these beautiful people making cheese. It's the best and then world, man. Your relationship with them, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's just such a beautiful, such a beautiful, uh, such a beautiful job. Yeah, it's the best, man. It's the only one I'll ever have till they put me in the ground. Uh, some of our listeners most likely know that your crackers are exported to the U.S., but we actually have listeners all over the world. Uh, do you export the crackers to other countries as well? And um, yeah, do you have any I plans think to expand much that worldwide now? That's awesome. Which makes you seem like a really successful businessman, which I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but dude. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lot, a lot of thanks to uh, uh, Adam Moskowitz. Yeah. Uh, kindly, uh, uh, you all know who he is. He's he the man. He kindly let us import records himself, so he could piggyback them onto all the good cheese shops sure. to use him for, for importing. Sure. So we've got a good distribution in the States that way. And then you two different channels then in Australia and Japan and the UK and Europe. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, 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 that, that was something that happened kind of by accident and something we're very proud of. Yeah. Sometimes the best yeah. shit happens that way. The best stuff, it, they, you know, those little mistakes that are, you know, yeah. that turn into that or those, just those little windfalls, you know, those, those are the best for me anyway. Look, I could talk Irish cheese and talk with you for hours, but unfortunately, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you, Seamus, for joining us on the show today. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that wasn't long enough. That wasn't long enough, Craig. But listen, uh, hi to all, uh, all our customers and friends over there. Yeah. The and while you're drinking on uh, St. Patrick's Day, we'll be out missing cows, drinking cold tea and eating, drinking pints of buttermilk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, don't forget. To, yeah. <laughs> I'm Greg Blaze. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Thanks, Seamus. Later. Okay, Greg, mind yourself. Bye-bye. Ciao.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.